Stay tuned in just a moment for special election coverage, a live broadcast of the League of Women Voters Candidates Forum for County Superintendent of Schools with candidates Michelle Hutchins and Nicole Glenser. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, it is six o'clock. Time to begin our uh, candidate forum for the uh, Mendocino County Superintendent of Schools. We have two candidates, the incumbent Michelle Hutchins and challenger Nicole Glenser. Um, my name is Pat Dunbar. I'll be moderating the forum tonight. Um, I have a number of questions that have been submitted ahead of time, uh, but if you have other questions for the candidates, please put them into the chat window. Um, we'll do our best to get all the questions answered that we have time for. We'll go from now until maximum of 730. Um, a few rules. Uh, the candidates will have three minutes each to present their opening statements, two minutes each to answer each question, and three minutes at the end for closing statements. Jerry Staveley will be the timekeeper, and he has a series of little um, placards to uh, let the candidates know about their timing. So um, I think that's it. I'll, um, I'll start off, and um, Michelle, I'd like you to go first, please. Thank you. I am honored to stand here before you as a woman, a public school mom, and an elected official. In my campaigns for county superintendent of schools, I appreciate the vital role of the League of Women Voters. We must continue supporting and empowering one another to protect our voting rights and provide world-class education in every zip code. In 2018, you elected me to bring change to the Office of Education. Successfully fulfilling the promises made to voters, I led our office into the 21st century by adopting new technology supports, valuing critical thinking, and prioritizing problem solving over rote skills. Before my first term, the office passed state money directly to districts instead of providing the services prescribed by the California Department of Education, resulting in outdated resources and low student achievement. I changed that, created a new management team, and built the capacity to serve all 12 districts effectively and efficiently. As a result, every child now matters equally in Mendocino County. My vision for and commitment to our students and community is to improve achievement, expand leadership opportunities, engage with real world problem solving, and increase access to mental health supports. I'm courageous enough to buck the system, test cultural limitations, and work to bridge social boundaries. I'm not afraid to take risks, as risk is an essential ingredient of change. The changes you elected me to make are well underway. What is needed now is stable and productive leadership. Although I'm an elected official, I'm not a politician. In fact, it would be improper for me to solicit endorsements from people who work for the districts and whose paychecks I write. I have, however, been endorsed by Senator Mike McGuire 
Assemblymember Jim Wood, and the unprecedented endorsement by every independently elected member of the County Board of Education. Supervisors Haschak and McGordy, and a growing number of prominent community members, including Martin Martinez, Tom Allman, and Tim Karras. Experience matters, and it matters now more than it has ever before. Please learn more at reelectmichellehutchins.com. I am happy to answer your questions this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Nicole. Hi, I'm Nicole Glenser, and I'm running for Mendocino County Superintendent of Schools. I began my career in education about 27 years ago when I took the job as a bilingual teacher's aide in Lincoln Elementary School. And having found my passion for education, I then earned my teaching credential and immersed myself in schools. As a high school teacher, I had the privilege of helping students apply for college and prepare for job interviews. I sat on committees. I coached. I did everything I could think of. As I took on more leadership roles, I eventually started to provide support for other teachers and then was asked to join the leadership team, first as an assistant principal, then as a principal. A little over 10 years ago, I became the superintendent of Potter Valley, and I currently serve as the assistant superintendent for human resources for Ukiah Unified School District. Administrative experience in one of our county's smallest districts, as well as our largest, gives me really unique insight into how the county superintendent can better serve our schools and our students. Leadership is in part about relationships. So as superintendent, I'll focus on building upon the relationships that I've already established with school leaders throughout our county, with the staff at Mendocino County Office of Education and throughout the state so that we can work together to address some of the really complex problems that our schools are facing, namely the staffing shortage and COVID adaptation and recovery. A staff recruitment has to be a top priority. Uh, this includes addressing staff burnout. It doesn't really matter what plans or programs we have if we don't have the people to run them. Another priority has to be COVID recovery. As we come out of this pandemic, our schools are different. Our students and our staff, they're all different. We're going to need to work together to navigate through these next few years. And I have a proven track record of working collaboratively to solve problems. Working in education is a really tough job, and educators need and deserve all the support we can give them so that they can do their best work teaching our students. As county superintendent, I'll give our students and the staff that work with them, the they'll, I'll keep them the focus of my work. I'm really proud to live in Mendocino County, and I'm so honored to have dedicated the last 27 years of my life to education. I'm confident that my experience, my passion for service, and my determination to provide students with the best education possible will be a service to all of our schools throughout the district, throughout the county. I'm Nicole Glenser. I'm running for Mendocino County Superintendent of Schools. I look forward to your questions. Thank you. So I'm going to start with a question that came from a couple of places. Um, Mendocino County communities experience extreme income disparities, and some students from these communities face major inequities depending on what school or district they attend. If elected, what is your plan to ensure that districts with these large disparities and challenges are supported at the same or at a higher level than more affluent districts? Specifically, do you have any thoughts on how we narrow or eliminate the opportunity and achievement gaps that exist in many of the school districts? Nicole, I'll start with you on this one. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to take this question. It's something that drew me to education is public education really should be an equalizer among the classes. Um, and I think that what you have to do to address uh, any achievement gap between whether it, whether it exists between students of different socioeconomic levels, students who speak a primary English other than English, whatever, wherever that gap exists, you have to continually look at um, within each school district, within each school, what are the precise um, gaps that exist? Uh, for example, if you look at your, if you look at a high school and you see that there's an achievement gap between uh, minority students and Caucasian students, where else do you see that um, that disparity? You look at the enrollment of your some of, some of your classes, um, and if you have a disparity in enrollment, you need to address that. You need to start where the disparity begins. Um, in, within your school. So you need to constantly be examining what access students have to education. And we have a lot of really good examples of where we have districts addressing this disparity. And I think this, like pretty much every other problem we have in our schools in Mendocino County and really anywhere, we need to work together to look at them collaboratively to see what creative problems each district is coming up with um, so that we can learn from one another. And that's really an area that I think that we could be improving in our in our county. Thank you. Michelle? So the last nine years, the, in, the California Department of Education has retooled the county office's support to address the equity gap that exists among, as you said, income disparity, as well as ethnic and other um, socioeconomic, special education, um, and as well as people from different ethnic backgrounds have or are showing a significant gap in their learning compared to the general population of the schools. This is the driving force behind what California Department of Education has done in creating the California system of support. Equity is no longer a sidecar. It's now the engine that drives and is the essential feature of the work inside the California system of support. What we saw through the pandemic and in the last 20 years is that the achievement gap did not close. It widened. So past methods of focusing on only academic progress of the entire school community was unsuccessful. We now measure all of the subpopulations in the areas that the State Board of Education has identified targets. And then when a school district does not meet those targets, we come in and help the district by putting together a continuous improvement team with boots on the ground educators through a learning mindset and culture, doing a root cause analysis of data and inquiry, and then essentially using transformative cycles grounded in relationships to make those changes. Every district that's worked with our county office in the last couple of years has successfully improved their student performance and gotten out of the um, differentiated assistance successfully within one year. Thank you. Okay, here is a question that is not just for us, it's a statewide issue, but it certainly is, applies here. 
declining enrollment. Um, and the question is that there has been a promise to create a student attendance review board. Um, COVID and other things have delayed uh, implementation of this board. Um, do you know if it's going to happen? And if so, when? And any other general comments about addressing declining student enrollment? Michelle, I'll start with you on this. So in working closely with our district attorney, we have looked at, at the SARB situation in our county. And it has been determined that alternative methods are more effective at getting students to attend than traditional methods of punitive measures. We actually saw during the pandemic, student attendance increased. It didn't decrease, it increased. However, that doesn't as, uh, help a district with, with declining enrollment. This is occurring statewide. The state for the first time is experiencing only a little over 5 million students instead of 6 million students that we've had in the past. Um, so what, what we see today when I talk with students about why their attendance is poor, it really comes down to engagement. It comes down to the lack of connection students have with what they're learning to the real world. The fact that we divide our classes up into different curricular areas and provide information separate from being ingra ingrained in the world and real world experiences is the disconnect that students are having with their educational program today. Now, this is not anything that is the fault of any of our educators. We have the system that we have, and we have been trained in the system that we have. But we have to work together in creating new experiences for our students to get more hands-on education, more real-world learning in our everyday classrooms. You will see engagement go up, and you will see students wanting to be at school on Saturday and Sunday. I've experienced it myself in programs in the past. Thank you. Nicole? Oh, un unmute yourself. <laughs> During um, when we were in remote and hybrid learning, um, it was much easier for a student to be counted as present. Um, there were a lot of concessions made by the state. So the change in, um, in, in um, attendance uh, is a little bit different, difficult to gauge over the last few years. Um, I've, I've, I worked in a, a county previously that had a successful SARB um, program, and it really does require um, good cooperation between the school districts and um, the DA's office. The, the idea of, I agree with, with the incumbent that increasing student uh, engagement will always help anything, <laughs> any, any school issue, that will always help. However, when you look at a lot of attendance issues, it's not the student who is um, driving themselves to school. Um, the challenges that many of our low-income families have, that many of our remote families have in getting to school are pretty significant. And so when you look at, um, you, you really need to look at each, uh, each ind individual student 
And why are they not coming to school? What is the issue that they're having to overcome or that their family is having to overcome? And that's really the intent of the SARB process when it's done well. It's a collaboration between mental health, um, the school, law enforcement, um, and really looking at what are the, the issues in this family that are, that are causing challenges and presenting challenges and addressing those challenges in a collaborative manner. And so I think that increasing student engagement, I'm all for it. But to really improve attendance, you've got to look a little, you've got to look much deeper. Thank you. Okay. Um, Mendocino County is a diverse part of the state. Many tribal communities call this region home. As superintendent, what would you do to best represent the needs of these tribal communities and ensure that our public schools are serving these students and their families? Nicole. Sure. Of course, this as with whenever you're um, working with any uh, community group, you need to sit and, and talk to that community, community group and hear what their issues, their needs, their concerns are. Um, this in, in our county, I think is, is often best done by working with um, tribal leadership. Um, there are various um, Native American uh, counselors and, um, uh, and leaders throughout our county that really want to sit with the schools and go over the issues that are particular to their, to their, um, to their groups. So I think that that's uh, like everything else, you need to sit down, you need to listen, you need to be willing to look at your um, the school needs to be willing to look at whatever criticisms come from these groups. My experience is is that when they're um, my experience is that uh, listening to to the concerns of some of our Native American parents, um, there's this this uh, there's a need for additional training for our staff to better understand their needs, um, to better understand where they're coming from when we're um, addressing different instructional um, practices or different units. Um, I know that we have several people in our county, including myself, that have participated in some statewide, tra statewide training recently um, on Native American literature um, and how to select appropriate current Native American literature um, that honors the Native American community as a present tense group, not just as, as many, um, many books may depict our Native American um, community as something that is part of our past and not our, our present. And I think that's the, um, that needs to change um, markedly. And I think it, that will happen through listening and ongoing conversations. Thank you. Michelle. Thank you. So our tribal communities are special and precious in this county. We are ex extremely fortunate to have the number of tribal of tribes living in Mendocino County that we have. It is important that children see the adults in their community working in their schools and working in high level positions in their schools. I have hired several Native American employees recently, um, and it gives me great pride to see them really shine in their positions. I think it's very important that we work closely with the tribal communities to make sure the messages that we give our children are in line with their tribal needs and with their spiritual practices. 
Um, in just visiting in Round Valley schools this last week, I was able to witness several instructors using things directly from the children's cultures that they were using as ways to get examples of learning across. Um, one of the things that, that I really appreciate is the seeing the Tobacco Coalition and how they've created the directional spiritual poster for how to use tobacco um, appropriately and spiritually in the culture, but not smoke it as a habit. And so utilizing processes like that, where we're being culturally aware and always making sure they have models of adults working in the system so that they can see themselves as adults growing up successfully. Okay, thank you. Um, this was referred to um, earlier, and so I'd like to get a little more discussion about it. There is currently a major teacher and substitute teacher shortage, both locally and statewide. What do you think is the best way to attract and retain the highest quality teachers and staff to come and work for the county office or any district within Mendocino County? Please include special education educators and classified staff. So Michelle, start with you. Yeah, this is an issue statewide. First, we have to really honor the profession of teaching. Teaching has to be one of the highest achieving professions in our culture. We have to raise it, how we look at teachers culturally. In addition, we have to develop a pipeline. We no longer can assume that we have three or four applicants for every position. When we see positions on the forefront of being vacant, we have to be proactive in how we're going to be developing someone to fill those positions. We have to make use of all of our local resources in developing that pipeline. There are a lot of grants and a lot of unique opportunities right now for Native American people, for um, classified staff to have not only their teaching credential processes paid for, but also the bachelor's degree on the way to getting the teaching credential. At Mendocino County Office of Education, we work as a broker. We look at all the different teaching credential programs that exist around us, and we evaluate what the need is in our county, and we pull together cohorts of people, and we get them through those local opportunities. Oftentimes, bringing the services directly to MCOE instead of having to have our folks travel out. We collaborate with North Coast School of Education, with Teach Lake County, with Humboldt State University, Sonoma State University, National University. We basically collaborate with a lot of different partners to be able to create opportunities for teaching classes to happen right here locally. Um, so essentially, develop the pipeline and, you know, we also have retooled our HR department. We've put one of our most highly skilled administrators in there to be able to lead it. And so those are the efforts we're making. Thank you. Thank you. Nicole? Um, I think one of the things we need to address immediately in recruitment is teacher burnout because our, our need to recruit is going to increase if we don't address burnout. 
Um, I don't have a silver bullet for that. I know I've been talking to administrators throughout our county on different concerns and different ideas on how to address that. Um, because we've been dealing with a teacher shortage in Mendocino County for, for years now. Um, we've, we have a geographic challenge. We don't have a university right in the middle of our county like many counties do. So all of these things have contributed. But certainly now it is much more acute than it has been in the past. And I think we have to focus on two two ways of, of addressing this problem. One is looking internally to grow our own. We have a lot of very talented classified employees. We have a lot of talented community members that want to get into education. We need to help them do that. Um, and then we also need to recruit from outside the area, going to areas where we're most likely to draw people that want to live in Mendocino County. And there's a lot of recruitment events throughout um, throughout the United States that that um, that can do that and a lot of online recruitment events as well. Um, one of the things that we need to be creative about is um, how we help people get credentials. For example, back to the Native American question, um, a tribe can, can help a, 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 in the credential process for um, somebody who's going to teach a native language or native culture. And so we need to be looking at things like that and saying, what talent do we have here that has a, who has a desire to work in our schools, let's help develop them and help walk them through the, the, the very complex um, and changing pathway to get a credential. Okay, thank you. So this will change the focus a little bit, this question. Uh, when you're advocating at the state level for policies, funding and support for Mendocino County, what are your top priorities? And which state leaders would you connect with to try to move the dial on equity and access to educational resources? Nicole, start with you. The, the state work that I've done over the last uh, four or five years has been through the Association of California School Administrators and working with legislative advocates um, to advocate for various um, changes that will help our schools. Specifically, some of the things that we're looking at related to equity and access is credentialing. We need our, our, our teaching staff, um, our administrative staff, to better reflect the demographics of the community. Well, we've seen at the state level that there are some um, barriers to making that happen. And so through working with legislative advocates, um, and we have a, a, an Association of California School Administrators representative on the California Commission for Teacher Credentialing, um, making sure that they're advocating for our schools to make sure that the credentialing process is accessible to a diverse population. Um, so that's maybe not a super exciting answer because it's really more on the legislative advocate level, but it's proven to be very successful when we persistently stick at addressing that issue um, because it's, um, it's, been, it's been hard to make that change. Um, I think the, the other thing at the state level that I would like to look at right now um, when it comes to staffing is I think that there's a lot more that can be done to help get retirees to provide support to our new teachers and our, and our teachers that are in intern credentials. Those would be teachers that are not fully credentialed, but because we're so desperate for teachers, we're hiring people that are not fully prepared. They need support and we, we need to push harder to be able to get those retirees to be able to provide some of that support because right now there are several obstacles. Thank you. Michelle? 
So since 2017, county offices are required to assist struggling school districts that do not meet the state accountability targets. These targets and the accountability system are designed to measure a school's ability to meet targets with each one of our subpopulations. When they get in trouble and they don't meet the targets, that's when a county office comes in and provides differentiated assistance. Differentiated assistance is the process of continuous improvement strategies, and it can change the educational practices and culture of a school system through the use of an intensive process of causal analysis, ongoing coaching, and relationship building. Just last week, I organized meetings with Senator McGuire and Assemblymember Jim Wood to present the process of differentiated assistance with my colleagues from neighboring counties. We made an ask that the state look at this continuous improvement process as a proactive strategy with our school districts instead of a reactive strategy with our school districts. The 58 county superintendents believe that with a small tweak in state funding, we could then focus on doing these processes proactively, which would keep schools from going into differentiated assistance and dropping below the state targets. This was work was successful as both Assemblymember Jim Wood and Senator Mike McGuire signed on to the, the support letter um, that we just sent at the end of last week. And all of that work I organized um, with my regional colleagues. So the work, the, and that right now is the main thing that the, all 58 county superintendents are focusing on is making sure differentiated assistance moves from being reactive to proactive strategy. Thank you. Okay, let's see. Um, sorry. Michelle, I'll start with you on this. What do you view are uh, what what areas do you view for growth within the context of the Office of Education as an institution, and how do you plan to address these areas? So we have done a lot of work in reorganizing um, our office to be able to meet the requirements of the California system of support. We have spent a lot of time moving from a curriculum and instruction department to having a department fully fleshed in continuous improvement. That change has been uh, has taken root or, or you know, has, has really taken effect in the last two years. My next term, we're going to be looking closely at special education reform, as well as um, looking at how we serve all of our subpopulations and looking at moving the work of continuous improvement from a reactionary strategy to a proactive strategy. So again, working with all of the districts, not just the few that are in differentiated assistance and required to work with the county office, but all districts and more of a proactive strategy. 
giving the district a language of improvement, giving the district processes to be able to work all the way to the classroom with these intuitive cycles of plan, do, study, and act. When you can bring it all the way down to the classroom level, it's amazing the types of things that you can uncover that your, your, your district is now capable of doing. It's exciting work, and it's the work that um, all 58 county offices of education are steeped in deep. But moving forward, we have upcoming special education reform, and we have the implementation of universal pre-kindergarten, which is another huge change for our districts. So the support of universal pre-kindergarten and special education reform will be my two focuses in the next term. Thank you. Especially because special education students continually are the student population that are getting all of our districts into differentiated assistance. Okay, thank you. Nicole. Pat, I know this will take my, some of my time, but can you repeat the first part of that question? Oh, no, you please? don't need to. It won't take your time. Um, okay. Your view, uh, some areas for growth within the context of the Office of Education as an institution, and how do you plan to address those areas? I think that one significant area of growth, and I, I don't think, I know, this is my experience, and this is the experience of many in our county, one significant area of growth that has to be addressed right away is there is not a strong sense of team between the school districts and the office of uh, and, and the and the county superintendent, um, and that trickles down into MCOE. It's it's it can be difficult to partner with MCOE when there's not a meshing of leadership. That needs to be addressed. An area of growth is to build that relationship between the school districts and MCOE. I know that there's a desire to have that at the school district level. I know that many MCOE employees have a strong desire to be able to, um, to work more collaboratively with the school districts, but it's, it's an area of growth is a, is a great way to describe it. There's not a strong sense of collaboration between many of our school districts. I do think that one, one area that has been strengthened over the last few years is for our charter schools are feeling more, um, more coalesced. I think that that needs to continue, but I think as they have come together, our, our county, um, or the, the superintendents within our county have not had that same sense of being drawn together by the county superintendent. I think that that can happen while also having our, our, our charter leaders um, drawn together and everyone being able to work collaboratively together and learning from one another. And how will I address that? We have to listen to what our what our school leaders have to say, what our charter school leaders, what our district superintendents have to say. We need to listen and we need to respond accordingly. Thank you. Um, this will be kind of a follow-up question to uh, what you were just talking about. So we'll start with you. Um, how would you describe your current relationship with the superintendents, um, school superintendents in the county? Um, I have a very strong working relationship with the superintendents in the county. Uh, many of them were, um, I worked with many of them as a superintendent when I was in Potter Valley um, and over the last uh, several years working in, in human resources for Ukiah Unified, I've continued to be able to work with the ones that I, I knew when I was superintendent and the new ones as well, um, connecting with them usually on negotiations issues or um, changes in legislation related to um, school um, um, employees, 
COVID was a big one. We were in communication an awful lot. I have a very positive working relationship with our with the superintendents throughout our district. And in fact, I'm endorsed by four of our county superintendents, Point of, I'm sorry, Fort Bragg, Mendocino, Laytonville, and Ukiah. And I have the endorsements as well as from five of our retired superintendents. Thank you. Michelle? So the role of the county superintendent is one where you are now responsible for inspiring, coaching, mentoring, and motivating your team to become the very best version of themselves, which will help them produce their very best work. Oftentimes, you have to have difficult conversations that in order to move people from good to great. Those conversations have happened in this county. Um, my relationship with the schools is fine. Um, I'm very proud of my relationship with all of the people that we serve. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, then I'll move on to this question. And Michelle, you can start off with it. How is your working relationship with the unions that you work with, and why are those relationships important? The county, office, the county superintendent has a very unique role, which is very different than a district superintendent. Um, we have one union at the County Office of Education. It is not CSEA, and it is not CTA, or um, it is... Uh, the works off of the Amer American Federation of Teachers, not the um, California, Feder California Teachers Association. So our one union negotiates and works with our HR department. The reason that that negotiation doesn't happen directly with the county superintendent of schools is because the county superintendent for the county office employees is the equivalent to a school district board of education. So it's not appropriate for the California, sorry, for the county superintendent to do direct negotiations with the union. It is the, the role of the staff below the county superintendent so that the county superintendent can remain neutral to be able to evaluate the final offer and accept it as a board of education does. It's important that you be, stay as sort of the judge and the jury and not get involved in the investigation element of the negotiations. So the skill sets that are required of a district superintendent with negotiations with a union are not as critical at the county level because that is what your HR department does. Um, but I feel very strongly that the union voice is very important um, and we are making a lot of progress, I believe, with our union relations at Mendocino County Office of Education. There's been no complaints in the four years I've been there. Thank you. Nicole? Um, as both in my current position and in all previous positions, I've had excellent uh, relationships with unions. I'm endorsed by CSCA. I know it, those of you that are paying attention to the to the, uh, this campaign have probably heard me say that over and over because I'm very proud to have the endorsement of CSEA. I also have the endorsement of the Potter Valley School Employees um, uh, Association. I, 
As county superintendent, um, while I may not be working directly in negotiations, I think it, it will still it will still be my job to make sure I have good relationships with the unions. Um, negotiations is one very important aspect of the um, of the relationship between management um, and labor, but it's it's not the only relationship. As we navigate through the next several years, we have a lot of challenges that we need to overcome. Staffing, again, coming back to that because it's a big one, is one of them. Dealing with uh, adaptations and recovery from COVID, that's another one. The only way we're going to successfully get through this is by working with our labor unions. They have, they're working most closely with our students. And I think as county superintendent, and in any leadership role I ever hold in a school district, I will always make sure, whether I'm at the county office or in a school district, I will always make sure that I have a good working relationship with the union as a group and with the union leadership in particular, because it's really important to be able to call someone and say, hey, there's something, there's something about to happen. Let's get on board together. Let's work through this together. That is imperative. And I also would say, I believe that's an area of growth in our County Office of Education. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to some different topic. Many school districts and the County Office of Education have substantial reserves. What are you willing to do as the county superintendent to ensure that districts begin spending down their year-end unrestricted balances to improve the learning and teaching experiences for students and educators? How large an unrestricted reserve should a district have at the end of a fiscal year? Nicole, can we start with you? Yes, I, there's not one set number that is how large the district reserve should be. The size of the district um, significantly impacts the size of an appropriate reserve. Um, and what the county, uh, what I would do as uh, at the county level is look at that with the fiscal department at the county level, because this is, this is definitely a main area of focus for the county office of education. Look at that and work with the county, with the district leadership to look at what they're doing with the money that they're getting this year, spending it for the, for these students. When there's um, a reserve and a growing reserve, you really need to look at what systems do you have in place to re to review um, your budget. Again, you need to look at, um, what's the transparency of the discussions regarding the budget? Um, who, who's involved in the meetings for the local control accountability plan? Um, because in those meetings for the local control accountability plan, the districts are receiving input from um, labor, from parents, from community members. Um, and, and you need to look at that and, and look at what ideas have been generated through those conversations and what money should be spent. Reserves are, is, that's a one-time, those are one-time monies. Once you spend that reserve, it's spent. So you need to look at what one-time expenditures should you be, um, should you be spending it on. But then you also need to help look down the line at what's projected as far as enrollment and income to see if some of those, um, some of the monies that are currently reserves may actually become ongoing. Thank you. Michelle? Districts are required to have a 3% reserve. 
by the state. If you don't make your 3% reserve, 3% reserve on your third year out, you are a qualified district and you can be in danger of being um, taken over by the state. A small district, one of our small, our small outlying districts need, needs enough cash to be able to make payroll. Oftentimes that can be more of a six, seven or 8% for our littler districts. Um, and so in terms of um, monitoring, you know, a district does need to make sure they have that established reserve. They also have other funds that, that can be utilized in the reserve. They can have a, a savings fund for technology upgrades. They can have deferred maintenance funds. They can have um, funds outlined specifically for different construction projects in their ending fund balance. But ultimately, they have to at least have that 3%. Um, it, it, you know, the school districts are about to be really flush with money. It is not going to be an issue of having reserves. What the issue is really going to be is how we spend our dollars to make sure we're increasing student achievement. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. So... We do have to fix our teacher shortage issue. I am a strong believer that wages help with that. People will go to employment where they feel properly compensated and properly cared for. Our teaching profession has a way to go to be able to compete with private industry. We used to have great benefit packages and over time we've seen that deteriorate. We need to really you know, strengthen our packages and our and our fiscal offerings to up that teaching opportunities. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So here is a new topic, I think. What progressive education policies do you feel should be prioritized within the context of our unique rural community? And Michelle, you can go first on this one. Uh, well, the first policy that I think needs to happen is those is that our work for continuous improvement needs to be funded as a proactive measure, not a reactive measure. And like I said, these processes look at the take a systems approach to improving education, and they're very successful at changing the system and a culture of a district to increase student improvement. We are seeing this statewide. We are seeing success happen in rural as well as inner city districts all across the state when they engage with county offices with fidelity of the process of continuous improvement. Um, this work is making a difference all over our state. And I can't emphasize enough how that really needs to be the focus legislatively, as well as what we're doing every day in our schools. The culture of improvement and the language and the knowledge of how to improve systems when school districts get really immersed in this work, they are capable of solving any of their issues and really improving performance. One example I can give 
is we had a, a high spending district that was trying, to, but low achieving. They were trying to cut funds. So they worked through these inquiry cycles with their custodians. The custodians discovered if they bought a bigger mower, they could save not having to use any additional labor over the summer because the mowing could get done with the staff that they had. So that was just one example budget-wise where involving the people at the ground level with these cycles of inquiry can solve very big, large problems that maybe couldn't be uh, discovered at, on an administrator's desk. Okay, thank you. Nicole? Uh, one, um, I know that there are a lot of non-educators um, in the audience right now. And one thing that you have to understand about schools is one way that they get funding is through the average daily attendance. And that's an accounting of how many students are coming to school. It's not the same as their enrollment. And so you can have a school with a high enrollment and low average daily attendance. And since the funding, um, historically, there have been some exceptions, but historically is based on the average daily attendance, a school with low attendance is going to earn less money. That's a huge problem for schools because with low attendance, you often have low achievement. You often have a need to do incentives to do um, uh, uh, to, to have programs to increase attendance, not for the sake of earning more money, for the sake of teaching the students. We can't teach them if they're not there. I think that our uh, a progressive uh, priority is to work with the state to change how schools get funding so that our, some of our lower performing schools, some of our schools that are struggling with attendance, get the money that they need to meet the needs of the students that they have. Um, I, that's, that is, I think, of utmost importance. I think another um, uh, education priority that I, I would advocate for and have been advocating for over the years is schools need to, to get money with, uh, with fewer strings attached. We want to, I, I agree with the incumbent, we need to increase salaries for every position, um, classified, certificated, even management. We're not competitive. If we want to get competitive, we need to increase our compensation. We have some limitations in our ability to do that because we're, as, as Michelle said, we're, schools are getting funds right now, but there's, there are strings attached. And so it's difficult to meet the actual needs of the school district, which is getting the staffing that they need because the funds that we're getting cannot necessarily just be, uh, can't just be given in, in salary increases. So I'd like to see that change and make that a priority for advocacy at the state level. Okay, thank you. So this is a fairly specific question. Um, and it has to do with Fort Bragg and the name Fort Bragg and General Bragg that the town is named for. Confederate statues have been coming down across the South and sports teams with Native American mascot, mascots have been renamed. Here in California, the town of Confederate Corners has been renamed Springtown. Only two schools in the entire state of California are named for Confederate slaveholder, Fort Bragg High School and Fort Bragg Middle School. How would you go about educating the students of these two schools about the historical significance of their names and then changing their names. Nicole, I'll let you take a step. So the decision to change the name of the school would not be would not come from the county office of education or the county superintendent. It would need to come from within that school board, uh, that, from that school board and that school district. I think that the role of the county superintendent in something like that is to um, 
to provide some guidance in community conversations, in, in professional development for the teachers um, on, on how to teach the history, the local community history, to make sure that it is um, accurately portraying the history of the community. But I think ultimately the decision about the name of a school, about the name of a town, that doesn't come from the County Office of Education, but what can come from the County Office of Education is guidance on communication, on uh, meeting with constituents um, and, and listening to what others have to say. And then um, if there is indeed a, 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 a determination that a change is gonna be made, the county office can also, and the, and the county superintendent can pro provide support and how to make sure that that is done in accordance with board policy at ed code and all the um, pertaining uh, legislation and uh, statutes. Thank you, Michelle. So the county office or the county superintendent of schools has no authority to be able to tell a school district or, or um, you know, rename a school. That does lie with the local elected board of education. Um, so the, 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 you know, the support that the county office could give would also, you know, could also be, you know, giving them and, an, you know, to assist them with uh, community conversations because a change of a name of a high school and a middle school is a big decision. And you could easily lead and help facilitate community conversations. But outside of that, there's really no authority or, um, a requirement for the county superintendent to be involved in that process. Um, if the district requested support from the county office of education through that process, we would do any research that was requested um, to assist them in the process to lessen the work that was on the district staff in those processes. Um, but outside of that, there's really no authority. Okay, thank you. So I have a pretty specific question here. I'll start with Michelle on this one. Have you ever had a vote of no confidence brought against you by any unions you have worked with? And if so, how many? And what was your role at the time of this vote? So I've had two votes of no confidence as a district superintendent. Like I said, I take appropriate risks in the positions I hold. I protect my board of education, which is the job of a district superintendent, is sometimes to make communications that are unpopular and maybe not even something that you yourself believe in. Um, you, As the district superintendent, you are required to do the operations that your board of education asks you to do. In, in my role as district superintendent, I have received, like I said, two votes of no confidence. In both of those situations, the voice of the union was extremely important. I listened. Because I am a listening and learning leader, both or the one of the communities that I did get that vote of no confidence in did vote for me as county superintendent of schools. In the last four years, 
I have had excellent relations with my employees and good relations with the union at Mendocino County Office of Education. Again, the vote that is most important here is the vote of the voters, which had the confidence in me in both Anderson Valley and countywide because I'm a listening and a learning leader. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Nicole? Um, I've never had a vote of my confidence. I've had several difficult conversations with board, with, uh, with union um, leadership um, about a, a wide range of things from employee discipline to uh, funding for schools to negotiations. I've, uh, there are so many avenues to solving a problem when there is an issue with labor. It is, I think, um, unusual to have a vote of no confidence. And uh, speaking candidly, to have two is especially unusual. Um, Listening to the unions, I I disagree with unions um, periodically. It happens. And uh, we follow the the grievance process or um, there there are so many processes to go through that and or we invite somebody else in to help us um to facilitate a conversation Uh, it is important to do everything possible to maintain good labor relations because even when you have the most challenging negotiations at when those negotiations are over you still need to be able to work together because the primary job of the district superintendent is not to do the bidding of the board the primary job of the superintendent is to advocate for students every day. And our unions, even when they're being difficult, which I, every once in a while I have to say they're being difficult. I love them, but sometimes it, it's just difficult. Our unions understand that as well, that their job every day is to meet the needs of the students. And when you come together and agree, our job here is to meet the, kids of the needs of the students and we disagree on how that's going to be done. Let's come to agreement. You're able to get a solution. And that's why it's been my experience in every district I've been ever worked as an administrator in. Thank you. So let's see. We'll start with Nicole on this question. What measures, if any, are you willing to take to ensure that employee issues, including worksite issues, health care, retirement, other employee rights, have your direct attention and follow-up? Please give one or two specific examples. Um, I'm, I think this question is probably focused on the employees at MCOE, which would be the yes. of employees that the county superintendent okay, gives over exactly. to. Exactly. Sorry. Um, Great. So there's, there's, um, I know there's uh, a, a director of personnel at the County Office of Education that probably does the lion's share of this work. Uh, but again, the, the, the job of making sure that you're doing the best that you can for your employees um, can never rest on the shoulders of just one person. Uh, even in small districts where there's just one superintendent who probably also a principal and probably also doing some other job, that that task has to be shared. And so working collaboratively through discussions with management, discussions with other, um, with district superintendents as well, because 
the better the better the superintendents are doing, the better the districts are doing and the charter schools, the better it is for MSOE and vice versa. And so keeping in touch with what's going on in the districts and the charter schools in the county, as well as working with the management and, and, and labor leadership in the county office of education, regular meetings um, in, in districts that I've worked in. We've done this through different ways, having regular meetings that you set up with um, your upper management and your labor um, leadership, sometimes to just address whatever's coming up that month, sometimes to do a very specific problem solving session. But staying on top of it and looking at things regularly. I think as, as upper level management, um, communication with the, the, with the union leadership um, regularly, weekly, monthly at least, um, is uh, the way that you stay in touch with what the needs of the employees are. And it's also how you um, keep them informed on any changes that are going to be happening in education and legislation um, that will affect things like compensation and working conditions. So it, you need really frequent communication and, and uh, collaboration. Thank you. Michelle? Thank you. So we implemented, um, we're using the Gallup poll to measure how our employees feel about their workplace. The Gallup poll has, is um, industry standard measurement tool for companies that want to utilize employee engagement to increase their bottom line. And so ultimately, we're going to be utilizing employee engagement to increase student outcomes in our county. How we're doing that right now, our managers and our directors and our all of our admin in the County Office of Education have just gone through a teaching moment with Gallup Poll to learn how to use the results of the people that directly report to us to create improvement plans for our own leadership capabilities. We're in the process right now of learning how to write those improvement plans with the data that the poll just gave us. In addition, every eight weeks, we do a technique called rounding, where our, um, our administrators talk to the people that are direct reports to them and ask them five essential questions. We ask them how their job is going, what they need for support, what's been going really well for them lately, who's been super helpful, and if there's anything that any improvement suggestions they have for leadership. When we circle back and then eight weeks later, we, we make sure we let them know that we've made action on whatever suggestions for improvement they have, whether it was act, an actionable item or not. We give them an update on where we are with that. So we're, we are always, every eight weeks, taking the pulse of our workforce to make sure things are moving in the right direction. As we make our improvement plans for our leadership, We'll be reporting the success of those through stoplight reports where we take all of the leadership's goals and, and activities and let them know how well we're doing on meeting those. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh, did we lose Nicole? Um, okay. Um, so, Michelle, let's see. Um, this will... We'll start with you on this and hope that Nicole gets back to us. Um, how do you plan to ensure that the voices of educators are heard in the day-to-day -day implementation of your work as superintendent? 
both educators as a whole in the county and those specifically working for the Office of Education. Please provide a couple of uh, specific examples. So increasing, or increasing teachers' voice, choice, and agency in our system is very important as we embark upon systemic change with schools. Some of the examples of how we involve teachers in this change is making sure they're on the teams that are put together for the school improvement work that we lead. For example, if we're going to be looking at students with disabilities and maybe the over-identification of students with disabilities in our county, we want to make sure we have special education teachers as well as general education teachers on the team that's looking at why a school district may over-identify um, special education students. So it's important that they be involved from the get-go in that school improvement process. In addition, as I just explained, we're starting to implement processes where we talk with our employees every eight weeks to get an understanding. KZYX Philo, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah. And what we can do to increase their, um, ex, you know, to increase their work and or improve their work environment. Um, by doing that habitually, we're really getting and being on top of any issues we can solve proactively because we're checking in with our employees on a regular basis. Thank you. So, Nicole, maybe you didn't hear this question, so I'll repeat it for you. How do you plan to ensure that the voices of educators Educators are heard in the day-to-day -day implementation of your work as superintendent. Please refer to both the educators as a whole in the county and those specifically working for the Office of Education. Provide specific examples if possible. I would, I love this question. Um, I don't know who came up with this, but this is a good one because this is how you get the work done. You have to hear from the people who are, who are doing the, the work with the students. Um, in the past, and what I currently do and what I've done in, in previous districts is um, what I would do as county superintendent is set up regular meetings um, with the people that are doing the work. Um, meetings where you, generally once a month where you say, what's going on right now? Where do we need help? What, who's struggling? Um, what's, what's, what do we anticipate is going to be a problem next month? How can we get ahead of it? Um, so working at MCOE as a county superintendent, I would set that up to make sure that we have those regular meetings. Um, that is, I think the county superintendent should be modeling that sort of um, collaborative open communication and giving support to our superintendents, especially our new superintendents, and providing that as a guidance as uh, and, and how they should, um, in an, an option for how they can operate in their own school district. Many of our new uh, superintendents are coming with very little or no district level experience, so they may not have been a part of that sort of practice. So I think it's or that that needs to be modeled. But also in 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 the, having the county office 
hear from the school districts. One important way to do that is through the county superintendents. It's through the charter school leaders and through regular meetings with them, hearing what their needs are, hearing what their issues are um, and, and responding to them, but also in developing cohorts for principals, for counselors, for job alikes where people can have regular communication um, with each other to see what each other is doing, to be inspired by one another. And that's something that is um, that has been challenged to do, to do over the last several years, um, partly due to COVID. Um, and, and I think that's an area of growth. Thank you. Um, I hope that this question makes sense to the candidates because I'm not quite sure but I think that you will know what it's about. What are your thoughts on full and fair funding? So, Nicole, I'll start with you on that one. Well, I'm going to have to admit, I'm not. If that's a particular um, term, uh, I, I, I'm not aware of what that is. Um, I, so I'm, I'm, I. What it sounds like to me, full and fair funding. Uh, to me, what I equate that to is making sure that student that's. Uh, that districts are getting uh, uh, funding based on their enrollment because, as, as I previously stated, that's an area that I have as a concern. I know many, um, many school district leaders do, county leaders do as well. So I think getting that funding. I also think of schools are just widely underfunded. Special education is underfunded. Um, we need to be funded for the, for, for the actual costs of the programs that we need to provide. And that um, has not ever happened, I think, since the dawn of time. I can't say that with all certainty, but I don't think schools have ever been fully funded. I think that there's always there are always shortcomings. We always hear fundraisers. So I'm not going to ramble on any more about that because if it's a technical term, I probably missed the mark entirely on that. Michelle? Full and fair funding is a federal um, bill that was just put forth by our representative, Jared Huffman. And it is put forth to um, fully fund our schools based on their enrollment, not on their average daily attendance. I am in full support of this bill. I do hope it passes as uh, school districts are required to have enough materials for every student enrolled, but they are only paid for the students that for the average daily attendance of their students. It's essentially an unfunded mandate. Um, so I'm in full support. Thank you. Then I'll start with you, Michelle, on this question. What kinds of data does the Office of Education currently collect and how, it is, how is it used to inform decision-making? Is there an example you can provide of a strategy that works with data that show the results and a strategy that was tried, but the data didn't indicate there was enough of an impact to continue? We collect a lot of data. <laughs> we, that is what we spend our time on is figuring out how to measure what matters. It is really important that you measure the things that matter. In that said, um, our main focus at County Office of Education are our two mandates by the, that we are mandated to do by the California Department of Education. One is making sure our districts are fiscally sound 
And two is making sure that they make the State Board of Education identified targets for all of their student subgroups and all the different areas that are measured today. It's student achievement, enroll, student achievement, attendance, suspension rates, um, college and career readiness. It's, it's not just academic achievement anymore. So an example of where this worked is gonna be tough to do in two minutes. Um, we had a school district that had an over identification or had a high, dis high suspension rate of third grade students. Um, we came in, did a deep dive in their causal analysis, and we found out that the data that the district was taken only included the period and the teacher's name. When we added some more data like time of day and location, we found out that all the suspensions for the third graders were happening in one hallway right after lunch. With a simple change of relocating the third graders going down a different hallway, all that suspension went away. So that's an example of when it really works, when you can step back. And now a system that probably wouldn't have worked would be not making different data sets and initiating some kind of character counts or some sort of um, behavior program with the third graders to make them better citizens. And because truly the issue really was an interception of a kindergarten classroom and the third grade classroom where there weren't any teacher eyes in that hallway. So a simple change of relocating the students down a different hallway made all those suspensions go away. Thank you. Nicole? I think one, I know that in the, in the past when I was a superintendent in Potter Valley, one of the data points that was discussed uh, quite a lot, and I think it has continued to be discussed over the, over the years, but still not resolved, and that comes back to attendance. Um, schools collect so much data, and it's, I mean, it's kind of like, a, I mean, everybody kind of gets saturated with the amount of data that we're looking at. And so I think looking at what is meaningful um, and, and one uh, data point that all school districts care about um, is attendance. Um, no matter whether, even if you're a basic uh, aid school district, which, and, and you get your funding differently, or if you get your funding through ADA, uh, looking at attendance is really important. And that is an area where the, where the county Office of Education can provide some support because gathering data can be, um, for a smaller school district especially, can be challenge, challenging. It takes time. Um, when I was superintendent in Potter Valley, we relied quite a lot on the county office um, to uh, collect data and, um, and help us uh, uh, use it. Um, so the county office would collect data and present it as at countywide. And so the superintendents, we would, as superintendents, we would look at what's this particular data point for our county um, within the school districts, and then comparing that data to the statewide averages. And so looking at attendance, looking at special ed um, identification, those are super helpful um, data points to be looking at because they matter to every single school district and they matter to the education of the students. Because again, as I've said before, if you can't get them to school, you can't teach them. Um, and so looking at that as an area to improve is um, when I was superintendent was a very helpful, um, the, the county office was very helpful in helping uh, the smaller school districts look at that data. Okay, thank you. So I have two questions that are specific to each candidate. For Nicole, so we'll start with you on this one. What will you do differently than Michelle and how? 
Um, one huge area of growth right now is the um, there's a lack of um, collaboration between the county superintendent and our and our district superintendents. That's an area that is um, increasingly becoming problematic and needs immediate attention. Um, the the support that our schools get, they get more support from their district superintendents than they do from the county. That's the way it should be, right? And if our superintendents are not getting the support that they need, then they're not as equipped to provide the support that our students need. Um, so what will I do differently? I'm gonna work, I'm gonna cooperatively work with our county superintendents. Um, I, 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 will, I want to bring together um, the, the county superintendents, the county, the, the district superintendents, and the, and the charter school leaders um, to do more collaboration. I know that the charter school leaders do um, frequent meetings. They have felt um, a higher level of support over the last several years than our district superintendents have. That is something that I would want to change right away, rebuild the trust that is lacking right now, and make sure that our, that our districts are getting the support that they need. Okay. And for Michelle, if reelected, will you do anything differently? And if so, how? Differently. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think we're in a good place right now, the County Office of Education. And so we're going to continue on the road we're on. Um, you know, hindsight, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, we can always do something different. We can always do something better. I'm not saying that in my four years, I haven't made any mistakes. I have, and I've learned from them and grown from them. Um, to, but to say that I'm going to function, I, I'm not going to function differently. I am who I am and I lead how I lead, but I, I'm a learning leader and I grow. Um, you know, I do need to comment just a little bit on the the statements made by the other candidate in that um, I'm somewhat of like a health inspector coming into a restaurant. And so some people also are a little resistant to change. The role of the county office is significantly different than it was four years ago. It used to be that this district superintendents would tell the county office what they wanted for support. Those days are gone. It is now the California Department of Education that sets what the county office does and delivers. And that shift has happened while I have been in this seat. And some of our district superintendents are not happy with that change. And those are the folks that you're seeing. Um, so again, I'm kind of like a health inspector. Some people get really excited to see me and some people go, oh no. So, but again, I am working as the local arm of the California Department of Education. And my goal is to improve achievement in all of our schools. And those conversations are difficult and hard. Okay, I think we have covered most of the questions that were submitted, um, and it's time for the summations. I would like to, uh, there, there were some very general things that I'm asking each of the candidates to try to include in your closing arguments or closing statements, and that is why you want to be 
the superintendent of Mendocino County Schools and what experience you have that makes you the best candidate. So, Nicole, I'll let you go first with this. It, 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 indeed, it used to be that the county superintendents would tell MCOE what support they needed. And the county office would apprise the districts of what support they might need in upcoming changes. That's not new. I put forth that the county superintendent and MCOE still has a responsibility to listen to the districts and hear their needs, to listen to the charter schools and hear their needs and give them support where they need support or find support for them if the, if the county office cannot provide it. I want to be county superintendent because I've been a superintendent. I know it's a, 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 a difficult job to be a, a district superintendent. I know that as a district superintendent, the support that I received from the county office of education and the county superintendent of schools was the difference between me being successful and not being successful. I relied on them a great deal. I think that our, our, our current district leaders are not giving, getting the same level of support that they used to get. There have been several changes over the years, and I am pleased that the County Office of Education is keeping up with those changes, but I don't think it negates their responsibility to provide support to our districts. I have 26 years of experience as an educator. I've been a paraprofessional, a teacher, a teacher a mentor. I'm currently, I've been an administrator for a long time. I've been a mentor to other administrators. I have the experience of being able to problem solve really difficult things while maintaining positive relationships. That's what I want to bring to this because right now we're having problems. Every school district is, every county is. We need to work together to get through them while maintaining a high level of support. No one should be leaving our jo their jobs feeling like they're not valued, that they're not proud of the work that they're done, that they're doing, and that those that, that work above them are not proud of them. I wanna inspire our educators to do the important work that they have before them. It is some of the most important work being done on the face of this planet. Our educators need to be recognized for the work that they're doing. They need to be heard. When presented with a problem, they need to be asked, how would you like, how can we work together to solve this problem? Not told, here's the problem and here's how we're going to solve it. There needs to be a much higher level of collaboration. And that's what I'll bring to this. I don't have all the answers, but I have a, a, a proven track record of working collaboratively. I have over 100 educators endorsing me. Those are people that went online and chose to click yes to endorse Nicole Glenser. Four county superintendents, are they're not endorsing me because they don't believe in me. They believe that I will be able to help them. Thank you. Michelle? The role of the county office has greatly changed in the last nine years with significant changes occurring in the last four. County offices are now newly charged with oversight of the school's accountability with academic achievement, graduation rates, attendance, suspension rates, and college and career readiness. If schools do not make the state targets for all subpopulations in these areas, then the county office is assigned to work with the school. I spent the last four years 
learning continuous improvement methods and leading the staff at MCOE to use these methods with districts and have shown success. Every district that engaged with MCOE for support through differentiated assistance successfully met the state targets with only one year of support. As Simon Simic says, leaders must transition from being responsible to the job to being responsible for the people responsible for doing the job. It's all about people. When you're a leader, you're now responsible for inspiring, coaching, mentoring, and motivating your team to become the very best version of themselves, which will help them produce their very best work. Children deserve choices, opportunities, and options for their growth no matter where they live, what school they attend, or the wealth of their family. As your county superintendent, I fight for a future where all children experience a high-quality, personalized education, preparing them for the world they live in today. We can make this difference together. How? By honoring the amazing achievements of our teachers and staff. Unsung heroism. Innovative teaching, technological solutions, hybrid teaching and learning, teachers and staff rose to the challenges of the pandemic. Good teaching didn't change. The environment in which our children learn changed. Now that schools are back to full in-person learning, many children are struggling. One lesson the pandemic taught us is that everything is uncertain. It's no longer enough to prepare our children for something. We must now prepare them for anything. I know you agree with me. You want our children to know not only what they learned, but why they learned it and how they'll use it. The strong alliances I work to build between our public schools, community college, and local private industries will greatly increase the growth and work opportunities for our children and will fill the vacancies in our local businesses. Experience matters, and it matters more than ever before. Please vote Michelle Hutchins on June 7. Thank you. That concludes the forum, and I want to thank both candidates again for participating, to the audience for being here, and I just received my um, sample ballot in the mail today. You should be receiving yours and your ballot as well. Those will be mailed out within the next week, I believe, um, and please do vote. It's how you make your voice heard. So. Thanks again from, uh, from all of us here at the League and to the candidates, and best of luck to you both. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. All right. You just heard special election coverage here on KZYX, a live broadcast of the League of Women Voters Candidates Forum via Zoom for County Superintendent of Schools. That was incumbent Michelle Hutchins and challenger Nicole Glenser. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.